just preach my sermon. <clears throat> but um, let me read you something, and then we're going to go to we're going to this is this is this is your a teaser, okay? This is an email I received some time ago. Listen carefully. A question, questions about the series we're doing. If you're living in the light, how are you supposed to live in a way? That is not just you constantly beating yourself down. They go on to explain a little bit. We know that we are sinners and are remorseful. And we just constantly think about how we aren't worthy and how we are such bad people. And there is always going to be sin in our lives that we're asking for forgiveness. How are we supposed to be happy about the salvation we have? Then later on the email, I've been praying for forgiveness for whatever sins I'm dealing with and never wanting to think I'm doing good with this whole salvation thing because that would be prideful. But since I've never let myself think I'm doing good, I also don't feel my salvation is there or I'm not taking joy in my salvation. Like I've gotten the I'm a sinner, please forgive me part down, but it's hard to reconcile with the I'm saved. And I have joy because of it. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But we have a little bit of a special treat. I'm going to ask my Fijians to come up and my Samoans to come up. Uh, yeah, come on, just start coming up. Uh, Katie, you wanted to stand up here so that they can see that you're... And we'll, we'll let you sit down in a minute. Uh, we are blessed with a congregation that, especially in the summer, has a lot of mission work going on. There's two types of mission work. We have um, church overseen mission work like Guyana, um, El Salvador, as we spoke last week. And then some of you sometimes get to go off and do some works that you've been involved with that aren't really overseen, but the church helps with to a degree. And such is the case today. Uh, this is special to me because here we have Lucas and Katie Orr. They are the grandchildren. I don't know which ones are the direct grand. Katie's the, great, the grandchild of the Ashleys, John and Bobby Ashley. Uh, they recently went to Samoa, uh, and they're going to take about ten minutes to share that with you in just in just a moment. But before they do that, you have to realize that Fiji and Samoa are neighbors. They're about four hundred miles apart, which is really close in the South Pacific. And behind us, we have my Fijian family. Darren is my Fijian son-in-law. Uh, he has a Sulu on and uh, married to Angel. You want the spiritual club? You can have the warrior club. Uh, and they're in their Sulus, as is Lucas with his Sulu. So we wanted to make him feel comfortable. And all of us wear our Sulus. So I brought mine, too, so we can all... Make him feel good. You know, uh, Dwayne said, you know, he wished he could wear his clothes, his uh, bula shirt. Uh, you know, he could wear a bula shirt. He, you can't unless you were comfortable wearing a Sulu, too. So anyway, they're all, we're all in our Sulus. Uh, you have to realize that the Samoans and the Fijians are somewhat enemies, uh, <clears throat> traditionally. And so that's why I brought my clubs here. Max, who is visiting us from Fiji has the, uh, I think it's called the Sali, which is a neck breaker, okay? And this is more of the spiritual club that he has, but it can be used as a weapon also. And so just remember, as you're talking, oh, okay, where's Tui? Tui didn't want to come. Tui is, Tui is my little, here we go. Tui is my, uh, 
my uh, he, his name means king, and he didn't want to come up, I guess. And this is Langi, which means heaven, and he's got his little Sulu on. All right, and so. Um, you know, they, they really won't hit you too hard unless you say something really bad about it. All right. So we're going to let Lucas share a little bit about his work in American Samoa. Katie lived there from 1997, 1998, about that time. And so she's been back several times. This is Lucas's first time back. And you boys can either stand here or go sit down with the clubs. Don't hurt anyone. All right. I'm going to sit down while Lucas shares. Okay. Wow. I don't know if I can follow that up. Um, again, I'm Lucas. This is my wife, Katie. Um, I need to greet you. Malo le soy fua. Is that right, Katie? Okay. She was there for a year. I was there for a week, so forgive me. I'm not the one who's meant to be up here. Um, that was a greeting. Malo le soy fua. And it means, I commend you for living. Um, that was the greeting that we used any time we'd approach someone to ask if we could speak with them. Um, but as you can see on the screen, we were in American Samoa, not Somalia. Had a lot of people praying for us to be safe when we went to Somalia. I don't know if you know anything about Somalia, but apparently it's much more vicious, much more rough terrain, I should say, uh, for missionaries. So we weren't there. We're in American Samoa. And... Um, we weren't in harm's way. Um, either way, most people ask us, where is that? Well, this is American Samoa. We'll give you a better description. Okay, so if we were to go out in the parking lot and fly to Samoa, it would take us about 19 hours. We didn't do it that way, but that's how far it is. And it is located in the Pacific Ocean, halfway between Hawaii and New Zealand. Um, it's called American Samoa because it is an American territory. Another reason we were safe. We felt safe. Um, we were in a specific village called Leone. In case you're wondering, that's Leone. Um, who lives there? The people of Samoa, I'm guessing, are pretty similar to those in Fiji. They're Polynesian, and they're very, very kind, very warm, very sweet. Um, they value family above everything. From a young age, the children are taught to take care of their parents, their grandparents, and this family structure is highly important. Um, it's very evident as well in all the villages, not just in Leone. Most families live in groups, and then after getting married and having children and creating their own families, they sometimes move back and live with their grandparents or their uncles and aunts, whoever's surviving, to help support, to assist, and also to get some daycare as well. Um, the Samoans are generally the strong, quiet type. I don't know if any of you know, but what's his name? The Rock. Okay, that wrestler. He's Samoan, but I think he's Western Samoan. But um, they're not all that big and mean and tough and all that stuff. They don't have that rough exterior, for instance. Okay, I'm looking like I know what I'm doing again. There we go. This is the minister for Leone, the church that we were with. I don't know if you can see, but down beside him, that's a puppy dog that he saved. Okay, they are all, not all, but a lot of them are pretty big and they don't smile that much until you go up and then it's like they're just a completely different person. They smile and you see their teeth and you're like, oh my goodness, I was afraid of you up until now. And whenever you speak with them, they want to share. They want to know all about you. 
granted, we look a little different, but that's part of the interest. They're like, hey, you're not from here. Where are you from? And they want to talk to you. Um, I'm getting off script. Again, most families live in groups. And, um, for example, they're much bigger. They're very intimidating. But at the same time, they're very sweet when you talk to them. Also, another woman that was the first person that I met actually door knocking. This is... I had her name. I've forgotten her name, but her, her daughter's name is Dora. And she's very sweet. Both of them very kind. But the story I want to tell you is when we were campaigning in most homes, we were treated like royalty. These people, they most of them own a slab of concrete with a roof. And they have a lot of chairs and things to cook with. And most of them cooking in umu. Um, I won't get into that. But this woman was cooking when we showed up. And uh, she did the same thing. She cleaned up her house. She got everything situated, put chairs up in the middle of the floor. That's where we're supposed to sit. And then she sat on the floor. I'm not okay with that. I'm, I'm not. That's already. I'm already there to talk. And now you're going to put me up on a pedestal. Um, but I wasn't really comfortable with that. But at the same time, that's their culture. So that's what we went with. Well, during the first 20 minutes of reading, the young translator leaned over. We had a translator the whole time just in case. And she leaned over and she whispered. She said, I think something's burning. And I smelt it too. And I said, yeah, I think you're right. So I asked the host, I said, are you cooking something? And she calmly said, oh, yes. And I said, is it burning? She said, probably. <laughs> so I said, let's go, go, go get your food. Go take care of it. But she not she wasn't that upset about it. Uh, she was she said that she was much more interested in the souls of herself and her children, and uh, nothing else mattered at that time. She said her food was singed a little, but she wasn't upset because we were there sharing God's word with her. We were there with a the mission, and that meant more to her than anything. And she not only showed up that night, but every night she could in that community, she would try and make it with her children. And um, so here's a little bit about what we did. Not the guy on the left, but the guy on the right is Randy English. Um, he is an Arkansas native with a family of seven. All of them are his. I think born and raised his. Uh, he's been a missionary in Samoa for over 20 years. The church in American Samoa that Randy works with has been struggling financially, geographically and spiritually. Um, they needed some encouragement. That's why we went. Uh, and they needed help remembering who they are and establishing their work again in the same village. In 2009, a tsunami hit American Samoa, and there was devastating damage as a result. The church at Leone was one of the only groups. Uh, I, we did research. I think there's about 76,000 people that live there. Leone was one of the only groups that were proactive in providing spiritual and physical assistance to anyone who's damaged, who had damage. And uh, this had a significant impact on the local Samoans. And it paved the way for us. We showed up and we said, hi, I'm white. I'm from America. Do you know Leone Church of Christ? And everyone just jumped in. They said, yeah, we know them. They're the ones who came and helped them. So they paved the way for us to come and help them. Um, and just mentioning their name, we were invited in with open arms and sometimes to eat. Um, as part of our mission, we did have five baptisms. Uh, 
um, three of which were Samoan. The awesome part about missions is those who go on a mission, if you really stick with what you're there for and you're not pumping yourself up, you're actually being used by God. You learn and you gain more than those you're serving, those you're there to serve. Um, Two of those baptisms were our brother Campbell from Killen. I don't have a picture. And then um, as we were leaving, Randy, I said he had seven kids. His youngest daughter, Cassie, we were leaving and she decided she wanted to be baptized. And that was really cool. Um, I get this from my dad. (laughs) Um, Each morning we would wake up. Change the slide. Maybe that'll help me. There we go. This is Leone Church of Christ. Very small building. Lots of people. Granted, that's mainly Americans. But we had a lot of people show up. We'd pack the house and then it would spill out. Um, but each morning we'd meet up here at the small house where Leone meets and discuss where in the village we were going to go. We'd be door knocking and asking people to come and speak with us about Jesus and inviting them to our evening devotions. Um, most of the day was spent meeting up for scheduled Bible studies. And then at night, we would have our devotions. Um, I talked about Omeka. I was given the chance to give a lesson Sunday morning, and it was amazing to have Omeka translating by my side. So I was told I was supposed to give a 30-minute speech. And then I was told, oh, but you have to allow half that time for the translator. So I took a 30-minute speech down to a 15-minute. Um, but I got to have... Omeka, speak with me. I wasn't the only one. Um, He's very wise. The man was hearing my words, translating in his head in Samoan, and then speaking, and then taking a breath because the next words out of my mouth are going to have to be translated and spoken again for 30 minutes. And then he would do this each night. We We were doing this for seven nights. After one of our men would speak our minister would speak so he had two lessons each night so for about an hour straight he was just translating the whole time and it was 14 lessons in one week and the only comfort he had was to sit in front of the one fan that the church building had and he said i'm I'm happy as a peach um i'm going to end with this after After trips, especially overseas, I come back and I think, you know, first of all, why me? Why was I just? I'm not anything special. And how did we make a difference? In that short period of time, what all did we do? Um, This verse says it all. These verses. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his own task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but only God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. We planted the seed. God made it grow. We can still keep in contact with them. We, we have a lot of friends who are on Facebook who are adding us now. And I'm like, who's this? And it's a long name and it looks like someone. It's just someone. Okay, yeah. Well, we've still got contact with them, but... We're not there and we're not meant to help them grow. God is making the growth. Um, And one next thing that I saw, I think on our way out, I noticed that on their license plates, 
they had a phrase and it said something about God. I forget specifically what it said, but their seal says Samoa, Muamua Leatua. That's translated Samoa, God is first. Without your support and your prayers, we couldn't have gone. Um, we couldn't have experienced all this, and we also wouldn't be able to share with so many of our brethren at once uh, what all we did. And so I want to thank you for all the time, and I also want you to know that we gained just as much as those we went to speak with. We gained a lot. Um, we have a total of 2,070 pictures, if you want a more in-depth uh, PowerPoint slide, and we'd love to oblige. But uh, if you have any further questions, anything at all, you want to come talk to us, you have an interest in going, please come speak with my wife and I. She'll know more than I do. Um, but thank you. Lucas and Katie Fafatailava, uh, I was able to um, be, travel to Samoa uh, in the 60s with my parents and then do some work uh, later on in both Western and American Samoa. So, you know, that's like home territory, uh, looking at those pictures. And I can tell you a lot of stories and I'm not going to because we go on and on and our time is we're not in the South Pacific where I can keep going. You know, I have to. We're in America, so I've, had, I've learned that. We're looking at 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. I introduced it a minute ago. And we're, go- and we're going to, <clears throat> we're probably just going to look at one little section of this verse. Uh, as we look at each section, I'm trying to keep us in the context because that's important. It's important for us to stay in the context so we understand what this particular verse says. And so looking really back to chapter uh, 2, verse 1, we started talking about, well, chapter, excuse me, 2, verse 3, where he says in our last lesson, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. To know that you know God or to be sure that you know him is something every Christian struggles with, I believe. To know that you know him. We know him, but to know that you know him, to be sure about your relationship. And so John tells us this is how you know that you know. There's some things you do and there's some things that you don't do. It's not how you feel right now, good or bad. It's not what you experience, good or bad. We live in a society that is drunk on feelings. I believe we're just drunk on how I feel about something. If I feel it, it's true. If it makes me feel good, I do it. If it makes me feel bad, I don't do it. We operate out of our feelings. And I think that may be an overreaction to the past where there was more of a cold and a clinical and a bookish type approach to the scriptures. And now we've gone to the other extreme and it's all about how we feel about a situation. I'll come to church if I feel like it. I will help you if I feel like it. If I don't feel like it, then I'll do what I want to do. And so we, we've gone to that extreme, and both extremes are, are wrong. But John shows us in this letter, and we have we mentioned this over and over, chapter 5, verse 13, he starts there, and I mean, he ends there, and he's looking back over what he's written, and he says, I, I wrote this so that you will know that you have eternal life, that you can be assured of eternal life. And then that is tied into chapter 2, verse 1, that we don't sin, 
And then that is tied in that. And the result of that is you're filled with joy. Now, he, he does it the, the opposite way, but they're all tied together. All three of these. Now we go to this, our previous lesson in verse three. To, and we discovered this knowing that, you know, or being sure that, you know, is in keeping or treasuring his commands. Chapter chapter two, verse three says, we know that we've come to know him if the NIV says, if we obey his commands. The word does mean obey, kind of. It really means to keep. It means to protect. It means to guard. It means to treasure. And if you keep something, if you guard something, if you treasure something, then you will obey it. All right. But there's that slight difference. Uh, the word picture of, of a keep, and here, this is the best picture I could find. We have a castle there. It has a wall. And that big structure there is called the keep. And what the keep was is where you put the most precious and treasured, valuable things that you had. Your wife, your children, your gold, your silver. And if anyone got through that wall, if anyone got through the gate, the keep had those little windows that could you could shoot arrows down as you came in. as the enemy came through the to, uh, through the gates and you would protect that which you treasured. So he says. You know that you know him if you keep, if you treasure, if you protect his commands, if you hold them dear to your heart. It's not a slavish adherence to a set of rules, but it's an understanding that all his commands are based in the one command of love. And that by keeping them. And by not sinning, that's another way of not sinning, because you treasure what he says so you don't sin, your assurance grows, you're filled with joy. We also looked at verse uh, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And we talked about how that's not walking in perfection. We can't walk in perfection. We can't live perfectly outwardly. We can't not sin as, we, as, as we've said. John reminded us in verse 7 of chapter 1 that walking in the light involves sin. There's sin involved as we walk in light. As we walk in light, the blood of Jesus continually purifies us of that sin. So instead, this is a journey of maturity. This word lives means we abide in him. We, we are at home in, with him. That's our abode. We're comfortable with him. We snuggle down to him. Snuggle inside him. It's a relationship that we have with him. And so as we mature in Christ, as we are at home with him, again, we see the results is are we don't sin because I'm at home in him. Why would I sin? It fills us with joy. Unspeakable. Let me ask it this way. When you hear his commands, do you treasure them? Do you treasure his commands? Listen to Psalms 119. I saw this last week and shared it with Elliot's class. And there is nothing short of love language in Psalms 119. Psalms 119, if you've never read it, read through it. It's a long song. It's the longest psalm. And each verse says something about God's law. It says law, statute, his word. It uses different words to describe it. But each word is focusing on the law of God. But as I read through it, I'm looking at this is love language here. This is not what we would expect of law. My soul is consumed with longing for your law at all times. Come on, guys. You said something like that to your wife. 
before, you know, I am consumed with love for you. I'm consumed with longing. Give me understanding and I'll keep your law. I'll obey it with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. Some of you look like you've never said that before. <laughs> How I long for your precepts. How I long for you. How I, I miss you so much. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I'll love you forever and ever. This is love language. Then this is just a few of them. For I delight in your commands because I love them. You know, we would not think of this as love language tied to the law. Why did David do that? Because David understood the law was just a written revelation of who God was. He had a relationship with God. And he saw God through the law. And we're so much more blessed because we now see God through a person named Jesus. Go to the Gospel of John, which we did in in times past. And we look at that and we see that he is the exact representation of God. And so we see him even more clearly than, than David did. And so I ask the question, do you treasure his commands? And you do. I know you do. You do love his commands. Listen to this. John chapter 13, verse 34. It's up on the screen. The next one. There you go. What do you think of this? A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You treasure that. I know you do. I've talked to you. I know that the opposite of that, you don't treasure that. Hate one another. Be upset with one another. None of you rejoice in that. You love one another. You want to love one another. You treasure that. Your desires live like some of the Psalms. Look at this next little section. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Isn't this your counselor? Don't you live by this? Don't you work to live like this? Don't you want to live like this? Of course you do. And what do you think of this one? Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. What do you think of this when you hear this? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ in, in, just as God, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You know, if Christ is in you, I know that's your desire. I know that's what you want. I know this is how you want to live your life. And in fact, to different degrees of maturity, you are living that way. You're not living it in perfection, but the perfect love of Christ is living it out in you. You walk as Jesus walked. And you're disturbed when you do differently. Aren't you disturbed when you're impatient? Do you ever rejoice over your impatience? Julia, guess what? I was so impatient today. Rejoice with me. You don't do that. It's the opposite. You, you, you have joy when you're patient. When you knew that that person was trying your patience on purpose. And you're patient with them. You're filled with joy. Oh, you're not bubbling up and down. You may be not dancing like Snoopy or whatever. But, you know, you have joy in your life. You have, you know, because you've actually lived it out. What, what God is in, in you living it out. When you forgive someone, when you forgive someone who needs forgiving and doesn't deserve forgiving, there's joy in your life. 
That's who you are. I know that's who you are. You are most comfortable abiding and snuggling down into the life of Jesus. This gives you joy. When you're living like you should be living, when, they, when Christ is actually living in you and coming out of you, joy fills your life. Now, if this is foreign to you, if I'm, if I'm speaking a different language right now, if this is just way off base to you, not, doesn't ring a bell, I suspect, and I say it with kindness, it's because Christ is not in you. If you look at these and say, nah, nah gentleness, that's for wimps. Humility, forget that. I'm proud of who I am. I suspect that you're here for whatever reason. And you're not in Christ. But John wrote to Christians and he's trying to remind us. He's trying to say, hey, now listen here. I want to remind you who you are and how you are to live. And so if if you haven't come to that saving faith, examine yourself. It's free to it's free to every single person. And we invite you to to be a part of that. John is writing to those who are in that safe relationship. He's reminding them who they are, how they are to live. And now we come to chapter two, verse seven. I'm going to cover one point. It's only going to take me 40 minutes. All right, here we go. You know, I told you how, how um, John is circular in his, in his thinking. He states something and then he expands on it. And, and the best illustration I got was this little uh, pool of water. Like you throw a rock in and the, and the ripples come out. Chapter 1, verse 1, through about chapter 2, verse 6, he, he sets a lot of things in, in place. He's... He states a lot of things. And then as I'm reading it, I'm starting to hear uh, the theme come back again. I'm hearing some of the things he said before. It's expanded. It's deepened. And so it's like a symphony that you hear a set of music and then you hear it later on, but it's expanded a little more. And that's what's happening in John. And so we're going to look at just the first expansion in, um, in chapter 2, verse uh, 7. Let's read it together. Dear friends. I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old commandment is the message you have heard. This first expansion is this. It goes from uh, my dear children to dear friends. I used to read over these things, just kind of glance over them, just read on all oh, whatever he's saying, dear friends and all this stuff. But I began to look at things a little bit deeper as I grew older and began to think a little bit better. And actually what he's saying here. Is very important. So I want you to stay with me. In chapter 2, verse 1, we covered this before. He says, dear children. John is in his his advanced years, 90 years old at least. He saw these people as his dear little children. And this word that he uses is called a diminutive. It's it's a shortened word of of something else. It's It's a term that the, like a nursery teacher Those who took care of children would call the the little ones. Something like, instead of my children, my little sweet ones or something like that. Uh, It's it's like this. You have the name Timothy. Your name might be Timothy. And people might shorten it to Tim, right? But Tim, no one calls you Timmy. Unless they're real close to you, right? Amen. All right. That's that that shortened. But it's a relationship. If I call him Timmy or if I call Tom, Tommy, then you would know we have a either I'm trying to make fun of him or we're good friends. All right. 
And that's what he does here. He sits there in chapter two, verse one, and he says, talking about not sinning. And he doesn't say, oh, oh, Catherine, don't sin. I write this that you don't sin. He says, oh, cat. Or he doesn't say, dear Jean. He's saying, sweet Jeannie. He's not saying, oh, Tom, I write this that you don't sin. He says, oh, Tommy, Tommy, I'm writing this that you don't sin. And if you understand that, you're, 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 you're seeing how that he's, he's close to you. This, as, he, as he approaches you and he's talking to you about not sinning, a terrible thing. He's putting his arm around you. Compassion. You hear compassion. You hear love. And he says to you, oh, sweet Al, I'm telling you, don't sin. I'm writing this that you don't sin. Danny boy, don't sin. You see what? Do you see the difference? Instead of saying, Alan Doyle Wright, don't sin. Now, you get all three names, you know you're in big trouble. All right? That's not what John is doing. He's saying, he's saying, Alan, Al, don't sin. I'm writing this so that you don't sin. You see this deep sense of love and compassion as he says, don't be involved in sin. And now he expands this. Here's the expansion. And this theme of tenderness and compassion is still there, but it becomes even deeper. Dear friends, as NIV says, your other translations may say this, beloved. And it comes from a word that's related to love, agape. Some of you are involved in the Christian organization called agape. It's one of the Greek words that most any Christian has been around for a while knows. That's the word for love, agape, in the Bible. It means a God kind of love. And this word is related to it. It's a very similar word. And it means, a, it means you're beloved. It means you're dear. It means you're worthy of love. And as I read this, in English it sounds like John is calling him, these people, his beloved ones. He's calling them his dear friends. And that's true. They were loved by John. They were his dear friends. But this is talking about something much deeper than that. He's beginning to introduce the section that he's going to talk about love. And so he calls them, you dear, worthy ones of love. And although dear and worthy of John's love, so much more like Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. You are loved by God. And that's what I believe he's introducing here. He's saying, you dear ones Loved by God. You're specially loved by God. This word was a word that was used to talk. Parent, parents use this word to talk to their only children. I know we have at least two only children in this room. My mother is one of them. And an only child gets all the love. They don't share it with siblings. They're, they have no siblings. It's a focused love. And that's what this word meant. It's a focused love as if you're loving an only child. And, they say, and John is saying, this is, God, this is how God loves you. He loves you like an only child. He especially loves you. And because he's infinite, he goes on forever and ever, never, never not existed. And because he, he's omnipresent, that means he's everywhere at the same time. He can love you as an only child, just like he loves me. As an only child. And some of you don't believe that. 
I've told you as you study First John, it's too good to be true. You look at this and say, no, no, God, God loves the world generically. I love the world generically. I love everyone in China. Because I'm not there. No, God loves the world, but he loves the world one person at a time. And he's able to do it because he's infinite. He's omnipresent. So he says, oh, you dear, especially loved ones by God. I was sharing this with Julie. You know what she said? You know what she said this word says? You're my favorite. Those of you who have more than one children, you've ever had that question asked? Who's your favorite? <laughs> All right, if you, you have children you've never been asked that, get ready for it. How do you answer it when your children come to you and say, who's your favorite? Good parents make each child feel like they're their favorite. Yeah, and they are. You're my favorite. You're my favorite angel. You're my favorite Judas. You're my favorite Matthew. It's the only Matthew I have. Yeah. You're my favorite Matthew. And God says, you're, you're my favorite. That's what this word means. Beloved. Dear friends. It's more than just dear friends. Okay, we're friends. Let's get on with it. He's saying you're specially loved by God. You're, you're God's favorite. And this good news is God-centered. The life you live in God is a God-centered life. You know the email that I read to introduce this? One of the problems with, with that email, and it's, not, and it's a problem we all have. I don't know if the person is here who wrote it. I haven't looked. So I'm not picking on you, but we all have this problem. Is My brain just went dead. <laughs> yeah, does it, say, I'll be fine. Just wait. I got it. I know. It came back. I went off to the Bahamas for a minute. I'm back. I was in Samoa for a second. <laughs> I have returned. It's a me, it was me saying, what I have to do, what I have to do, what I have to do. And the gospel is God-centered, what God did, what he did, how he loves you. It's, and it goes back to what Ben was saying earlier. I will remember their sins no more. We don't remember our sins when we take the Lord's Supper. We remember Jesus. We're God-focused and not me-focused. We don't come and say, oh, the terrible things I've done this week. God says, I will remember your sins no more. And we don't believe it. It's hard for us to believe that. And so as we work out our lives in love and the practical ways to love, and John's going to show us in the coming verses, this is how you do it. This is how you put it into practice. We have to remember it's God's love, not my love, but God's love working through me to love you. And because I'm specially loved by God, because I'm one of God's favorites, I can love you. You're loved by God, specially loved by God, and it's difficult for you to believe that God loves you that much. You can hardly believe it. You deserve condemnation, and you're saved by the sacrifice of Jesus. When you're saved and the sin of and the and you sin and the blood of Jesus continually purifies you of your sins, keeps you clean continually, it's almost it's unbelievable. Some of us we struggle with that. Your life in Christ isn't dependent on how well you're doing, on how well you perform. Your life in Christ is dependent on how Christ already performed. You see the focus? We're looking at what he already did for you, not what I have to do for him. Your salvation isn't anchored in what you do. 
Your salvation is anchored in what he did. Your, your continued purification of your sins each day isn't anchored in how many times you ask for forgiveness or what you do for recompense. or It's what he did for you on the cross. Once for all, as Ben said in the Lord's Supper, once for all. It's so powerful you only have to do it once. You'll never have to do it again. And you're purified continually. You're beloved by God. You're special. You're God's favorite. That's who you are. And so you begin to operate out of that experience of who you are. You operate on who you are, not who you think you should be. Religion calls you to live a certain standard, a certain way. Here, here's the measure. This is what you have to do to be in Christ. Relationship says the standard has been met in Christ in his sacrifice. And that's where we live, in that relationship. It's no longer a struggle to try and earn anything. But now we live our lives out in a continuing, maturing relationship. I'm learning how to live. I'm learning how to walk as Jesus walked. I abide in him. I mature in him. I'm secure in my relationship. I'm secure in my salvation. I'm confident that I have a heavenly father that calls me favorite. Beloved. And that's how I begin to live my life. That's one point. Let me end. <laughs> and we'll get back to this later. Because the second point, and see, all I did was one word today. <laughs> one word. And it's so wonderful to think about how much God loves you. And, and John's going to kill through this over and over and say, look, this is who you are. Live that way. That's who you are. And, and, and people will say, well, look, if you say, if you say that, then they'll go off and sin. Well, then they don't have a relationship with God. If you really understand who you are in Christ, you will not sin. That's what John said. And so I'm just here to remind you, this is who you are. Live that way. Okay. Let me just, let me sum up this way. I'm going to, can we get to the last slide? Let's just go, go through there. There we go. Look at that one thing. Here's my paraphrase of this one verse where he says, oh, dear special ones, loved by God. I am. And that's where I stop today. This is what we're going to do next time. I'm not writing something brand new, some command you've never heard before. But what I am saying is as old as from the day of your new birth. This old command is the Logos, and I'll explain that later. This old command is the Logos, which you heard and which took effect in your life. Beloved of God, favorite of God, go out in life this week and live like the child of God that you are. As I said earlier, if you are, none of that made sense to you, the things I said earlier... You're probably not in the relationship you need to be with Christ. And what we have here isn't something that we've made up and you've got to you've got to come through and jump through some hurdles to get there. You just come in faith and say, God, I believe in you. I believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm ready to turn from my old life. and I'm ready to be immersed in a pool of water in faith, knowing that I will rise a new creature. Sins washed away. Living a new life for him. If that's you, we're going to give you an opportunity as our elders are going to come up here, receive you so that you can receive a new life. 
If you're in Christ and you haven't been living that way, I encourage you to read the book of 1 John. Read Psalms 119 and know that you love his law and just live that way. If we can help you.